Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from the Moonshine Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwink. Sarah Abbott's working from the Sarah Abbott Studios near Bristol. And apparently, Sarah, without coffee, right? Like you just barely got a cup of coffee and you're feeling like you can go on about your day. I feel electric now. I feel awake. I feel alive. And that will be determined once we have the Todd Radom quiz later in the podcast. And I'm Buster Only working from my home in Montana. Well, one of the six divisions is settled. The National League West, after the Dodgers clinched last night, here was the sound of that. Here's a 2-1. Line drive. By the second baseman, Taylor, the Dodgers shut out Arizona, and the Dodgers win their ninth division title in the past 10 years. 4-0, they beat Arizona. The Dodgers now 55 games over 500. This is a season that simply has been one of Dodger domination. That was Charlie Steiner on Dodgers Radio. Yeah, and the big thing that happened after the game was the Arizona Diamondbacks stationing cops around the pool inside their ballpark because of the ignominious history with the Dodgers in that pool. We'll be talking about that with Marley Rivera coming up. Brewers face the Cardinals. Milwaukee trying to hang in the National League Central race. Nander McCutcheon helped out yesterday. 1-0 pitch. High fly ball deep left. Back is Dickerson at the track. At the wall. It is gone! goes deep and the Brewers lead it six to four. Number 17 on the year for Kutch. And the Brewers are going to win eight to four that sound from the Brewers radio network. The Mets began the day with a game and a half lead over the Atlanta Braves in the National League East. They faced the Cubs and fell behind early with Jacob DeGrom on the mound. Hap swings, drills one, deep right field. Going back, McNeil, he looks up. This one is in the second deck. A monster home run for Ian Hap, and the Cubs strike first. A one to nothing lead over the Mets here in New York. That from the Cubs rated network. The Cubs would extend their lead against DeGrom and go on to win 4-1. to one. And here was DeGrom after the game talking about his performance. Jake, how do you evaluate your night tonight? Um, you know, just to make some pitches when they needed to there in the fourth. Um, you know, got a couple guys on and uh, wasn't able to execute when I needed to. So, um, you know, tonight's on me. Um, you know, I needed to go out there and, and put up zeros and just wasn't able to do it. So the Mets lost on Monday. They lost on Tuesday. The Braves with another opportunity to cut into the Mets' lead. And Dansby Swanson gave him a lead in the top of the third inning. Dansby hits a rocket to left field. That's back to the wall, and that's out of the ballpark. He just put that thing in the fast lane, and it's 3-1 Atlanta here in the top of the third. That from 680, the fan, the Braves win the game over the Giants 5-1, and they're now a half game behind the Mets in the National League East, and it was announced earlier this week that in that final weekend of the regular season, we're going to have the Mets and the Braves on Sunday night baseball Pretty fired up about that. Twins and Royals. Joe Ryan was dominant against Kansas City at a no-hitter in the seventh inning. Swing and a miss. He struck him out, and Ryan is through seven 
It was a changeup and still has not given up a hit. A nine strikeout night, and hopefully Joe Ryan is back out for the eighth inning. That was Corey Probus on the Treasure Island Baseball Network, and in fact, he was not out for the eighth inning. 106 pitches in the books, and manager Rocco Baldelli elected to relieve him. Here's what it sounded like when a reliever took the mound. Giovanni Moran is on to pitch Danny's 6-0 game here in the eighth inning. And Twins fans not happy that Ryan is not out here to begin the eighth inning. Uh, verbally, they are not happy. They let people know that how they felt. And you know what? As soon as that happened, they announced Moran pitching. Fans got up and left. They are leaving the ballpark. There were boos also with that decision. And guess what happened in the top of the ninth inning? And the one-two pitch, line to left field, down the line. That's a fair ball, and that's in play. One ops off the wall. It was a fastball, and Dozier scores. Melendez to third, RBI double, Bobby Witt Jr., and it's a 6-1 game. And history denied here at Target Field on this September evening. Yeah, so the no-hitters lost, and, of course, Rocco Baldelli was answering questions after the game about the decision to take Ryan out. He said, I'm not worried about that, referring to the fans' reaction. I want what's best for this team, and I want to go to the playoffs. I want to win games in the playoffs, and that's the priority for me right now. Joe Ryan was asked about being taken out. I, I definitely wanted to stay in the game. I understand why I came out. Um, I Yeah, I, I don't think I've earned the right to really fight with him too much on that. Um, He's made some really good decisions this year and as far as taking me out at the right time as well. So um, I'm never going to be mad at him for that. Um, obviously, the competitive side, like I want to stay in the game and, and finish that out and at least, yeah, whatever. But, um, I mean, having Giovanni come in there, I had all the confidence that it was going to get done anyway. So really wasn't um, affecting the emotions too much. The Rays and Blue Jays played a doubleheader with those two teams right in the middle of the American League wildcard fight. The Rays won game one of the doubleheader. In game two, the Blue Jays took over in the seventh inning. Swings to the first pitch, bounds the ball. Inside the third base bag and up the left field line. The game is tied. Zimmer's flying around the bases. He's going to score. Whit Merrifield powers the Blue Jays back on top. Yeah, on their way to a big inning and a 7-2 victory. That from Sportsnet 590, the fan. Yankees, Red Sox. Yankees have stabilized after that deep slump, uh, but Fenway Park is always tricky for them. It's always tricky for Garrett Cole, who was on the mound against Tristan Cassis in the bottom of the second. 2-2 is driven high and deep. Left center field, back by the wall. Tristan Cassis hits the drafting sign. His second major league home run, and it comes off Garrett. That was Joe Castiglione, WEI, with that call. It was one of three homers that Garrett Cole allowed in this game. He surrendered four runs in six innings. But Aaron Judge would bring the Yankees back. Here was his call in the top of the sixth. That one's driven out into right center field. On the run for Dugo. That ball is gone. Home run number 56. And the game is tied at three. Michael Kay on the Yes Network. Judge was not done. The Yankees fell behind 4-3, to three and Judge did it again. Now the 1-1. One one. Swung on, there it goes. Deep left field, it is high. It is far. It has gone out of the building. Over the high green monster. Over the monster seats. 
out onto Lansbone. He is phenomenal. The second home run of the night for Judge. His 57th of the year. John Sterling with that call on WFAN. The Yankees would go on to win 7-6 to six in 10 innings. Aaron Judge now four homers away from tying Roger Maris's single-season record that was set 61 years ago. Aaron Judge spoke after the game about having fun while the team is winning. Aaron, you've continually said all season long you don't care about the, the home run numbers necessarily during the season. You just care about winning. But are you having fun at all out there? Are you enjoying this? Yeah, well, we're winning in the first place. You know, it's always fun, um, you know, especially coming to the ballpark every single day with these guys that continue to, you know, push each other, motivate each other. And um, you know, even through the, the tough stretches, you know, guys still show up ready to work. So it, it's definitely been fun this year. He was asked about the home run race. No, you really just don't look at it. You know, if, if you're checking the numbers, you're going to get caught. So I just, you know, just keep trying to do what I can do. And, you know, the numbers will take care of themselves. I have a good plan, have a good approach. Do what I need to do in the box. You know, all that other stuff will show up. 57 homers. Yankees manager Aaron Boone talked about the energy Judge has brought to the team with his home run chase. When he hits one, continues to, to chase history, obviously. What type of energy does that bring to the rest of the team? I think it's huge, and especially tonight, you know, those are both, you know, with the back-and-forth game, right back in the game or tying the game. So so they're really big. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, real quick, College Game Day podcast. We turn the page on Wednesdays. We have uh, Gene Wojciechowski on with Pete Thamel and Reese Davis. You should check that out. Friday Pick Pod will be up early Friday morning, the College Game Day podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Marley Rivera covers baseball for ESPN, and specifically in recent days, been covering the Yankees and Aaron Judge as he marches toward Roger Maris's record for home runs in the American League. But Marley, uh, first off, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Very happy that it's nice and sunny in Boston. That's all we care about. It's been a lot of rain lately, lots of delays for the Yankees, so it's nice that we finally will get a game started on time. Nice, and which is a nice presents a nice segue for my topic, which I wouldn't tell you about ahead of time. <laughs> Rain being the operative word, uh, the Dodgers clinching the National League West yesterday, and you oh. had the Arizona Diamondbacks lining up a bunch of cops in front of their pool to make sure the Dodgers didn't go into their pool and be in it. What was your take on that? Because I've kind of gone back and forth with my opinion on it. What was your when you saw that? What did you think? I think my first impression was that everyone has a right to protect their own property, and I am sure that the Arizona, <laughs> that the Arizona Diamondbacks don't want to see, you know, the you know the 2020 World Champions, and at the same time, who has been truly the best team in baseball and just such a commanding lead in that NL West, humiliate them by celebrating in the ballpark. So that's the part where I stand with them, and I understand. But in the end, and this is something that you and I talk about all the time. Baseball is supposed to be fun, and it is supposed to be about the fans, and it is supposed to be about celebrating great achievements, and maybe sometimes we shouldn't take things so seriously, and let's just have ourselves a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was kind of, you know, initially I was like, well, that's kind of silly, the Diamondbacks to do that, to put the cops yes. out there, but on the other hand, I think the Dodgers have kind of made enough of a show about it in the past. I'm not talking about the 22 Dodgers. But the players have had enough, uh, you know, have, have expressed what they've done in the past enough that, like, 
I kind of don't blame the Diamondbacks a little bit for saying, you know what, we don't want to have like 20 of you guys just coming out with the intent of peeing in our pool. Exactly. And at the same time, I mean, it is only it, it's this sign of you're going to go celebrate and just do it on your own turf. This is my place. Then you got to play by my rules. But I do get it. I do understand that it's a little bit excessive and it's the image of the cops. Right. So that's the part where we all go, really? Like, was it really necessary? But you know what? It is their place, their rules. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, I know you have some <laughs> thoughts on this. Wealth, uh, and you researched <laughs> this topic about peeing in the pool. Yeah, Buster, he used to be really against peeing in pools, but then a good friend of mine who spent a lot of time in pools, around pools, well-versed in pools, and he says, go for it. He said, it's like a drop in the ocean. The chemicals will take care of it. And also, all those people paying to be in the pool in, in Arizona, they're crushing Miller Lights and they're peeing in that thing. So get off your high horse, Diamondbacks, please. Wow. Okay. Well, you, you put like more it. research into it. Uh, go ahead, Marley. No, I really like it because I like this strong stand. Like, I feel like you and I are hedging. You know, we're kind of like, well, this is good and this is what I like, Taylor. He goes, come on, get over it. You know, just let him celebrate, whichever way they want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk about Aaron Judge. Two homers last night. Uh, he's now up to 57. I think it's inevitable that he winds up breaking Maris's record. Uh, first off, how is he handling it? Uh, and, and what are you seeing in him, him as he gets closer to this record? Well, it's been a lesson in like masterful lesson and just sitting down every day. I mean, standing there in front of his locker every day. And every time we ask him, but like get another number and him just looking back and saying the exact same thing. That's just another number. I mean, the moment when he got to 50 home runs and we were in Anaheim with the New York Yankees at that moment, I said, what are you going to remember about hitting 50? And he said a four, three loss to Los Angeles Angels. So Aaron judge continues to be on message and, it was something, you know, the whole team-first mentality is one of the biggest cliches that we hear all the time. He has truly proven, at least to this point, that it truly what matters to him are the results this season. Aaron Judge is completely focused, and you hear it all the time, that the only number that he cares about is 28, right? And we know that the Yankees have been stuck in that 27th World Championship for a really long time. Now, yesterday, because he is right now, you know, kind of flirting with the Triple Crown, still pretty far away, you know, being, you know, nine percentage points away from Luis Arias with a 310 batting average. But, you know, when we mentioned the Triple Crown, him saying, oh, I'm just really far from that, but hitting 300 and how much it means to him and how much then he's starting to maybe realize his place in history. And Aaron Boone said it yesterday, maybe deep, deep, deep inside. You know, he probably truly cares about who he's accomplishing this season. How do you think all this is affecting the Yankees thinking about how they're going to handle the negotiations when he hits the free agent market in the fall? <laughs> I think there's a lot of number crutching and a lot of regrets about that offer of the $231 million. I mean, at that point, maybe a consideration. I mean, that is seen as a bargain, right? Like, that's the kind of offer that I think people understand at this point why Aaron Judge said no, right? And, and uh, they're going to be... In a, in a table of negotiators, it isn't going to only be Yankees first, so that's going to be interesting to watch. But, of course, the Yankees are still considered the favorites, and Aaron Judge has repeatedly, repeatedly, you know, on the record, off the record, talked about how much he wants to remain at Yankee. But the negotiations are going to get harder, and that price tag certainly has gone up. I mean, Buster, when you are going into negotiations with historic numbers that have not been done since names like Maris and Babe Ruth, you certainly have the upper hand. 
Yeah, so I've spoken with executives with other teams, and they are skeptical that he's going to leave the Yankees. But I would say two things. One, I, I don't think Hal Steinbrenner, and I had this conversation with Michael Kay in the podcast last week, Hal Steinbrenner is not his father. He's more disciplined. I don't think the Yankees will go absolutely nuts and say, wait, we wave the white flag. Sure, whatever you want, we'll give you $350 million. I do think there's going to be an opportunity for some opposing owner uh, to come in and throw out a huge number that the Yankees aren't going to match. And at that point, to me, it becomes what Aaron Judge wants. Absolutely. And, it, and it's going to become a conversation about how at one point, and we saw it in the Juan Soto negotiations, it isn't really only about money. Aaron Judge knows his marketability. We know what happened to players like, just to mention one, Robinson Cano, when he went right to the right. to the Pacific Northwest and he got lost, right? And if I can say something about Aaron Judge, it's the fact that he truly enjoys the spotlight too. He's built for it. He's built to be the, major, the face of Major League Baseball. And that's the kind of conversation, Buster, that, that we have all the time. Who truly is the MVP? Who are the people that people pay attention to? And playing in New York, right, like playing in the Northeast, Boston being the same, and maybe the Los Angeles Dodgers, St. Louis, and Chicago being some of the very, very few places where you get that kind of attention directed to baseball, right? And the Northeast is a baseball town. New York is a baseball place. And I don't know that Aaron Judge wants to get lost anywhere else in the United States. So that's going to be really interesting to watch how much he's willing to, quote unquote, a hometown discount, even though I'm pretty uh, careful when I use those words. But Aaron Judge is motivated to stay with the Yankees, and as you said, the Yankees are motivated to keep him, but I couldn't agree with you more that Hal Steinbrenner is not the boss and that those offers are not going to be maybe in those, you know, in those numbers that, you know, the Juan Soto numbers that you might expect. Albert Pujols now at 697 homers, and because he's three away from that big round number of 700, uh, you know, I'm doing prep work. I'm sure others are doing prep work uh, for the possibility he's going to hit that milestone. But I've been told by friends of his that uh, 700 is not as important to him as 697 because he wanted to climb one more rung up the ladder in the all-time home run leaders and pass Alex Rodriguez. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. And I think the most important thing there, it has nothing to do with Alex Rodriguez and everything to do with being a Dominican-born, a Latin American player. For Albert Pujols, and let's be very clear, this isn't a guy who focuses on personal accolades. I mean, we just saw him give up one of the home run balls, right, to a fan, you know, who on the anniversary of her father's passing, right? So it isn't about personal accolades. His line, in the beginning of the season, when we're sitting there under the sun, right there in Jupiter, when he came over to sign his contract with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he said to me, chasing numbers is like chasing ghosts. I couldn't care less. People saying that Albert Pujols being at 699, he could possibly come back next year, really do not know Albert Pujols. Those numbers don't mean that much to him, right? Like, it really is, of course, being part of history, but 697 means that he is the Latin American, right, home run king. He is the Dominican-born home run king. And to his people, when he hit 600 and he hit that grand slam against the Minnesota Twins, I asked him, you know, what is 600? And he goes, it's going to be a party in the Dominican Republic. Those were his words. It had nothing to do with his personal feelings about it. So I couldn't agree with you more in that sense, Buster. 697 just means so much to him because he is right now the Latin American home run king. And Manny Machado said it. You know, they consider him one third of Major League Baseball 
has players of Latin American heritage, almost one-third, and you ask each one of those players who's the greatest right-handed hitter of all time, and between Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols, you certainly will get those answers. All right, before we go, I want to ask you about what's going on with uh, Team Puerto Rico from uh, the the WBC entrant. Uh, And I I felt kind of a little bit weird talking about it because I had had a conversation with our friend Eduardo Perez who I worked with on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, and he told me over the weekend that he was going to resign his general manager, disagreements about, uh, you know, his autonomy in terms of what he wanted to do. What's your take? Because Eduardo is someone who is so valued and so revered uh, by his colleagues and a lot of the players that he spoke with about joining the team. What's your view of the impact of Eduardo resigning as general manager? I think it's a great loss for Team Puerto Rico. And I speak, you know, I'm going to take off my friend hat, right, of Eduardo Perez, who is a personal friend of both of ours, and going to speak purely as a baseball reporter and as a baseball fan. And Eduardo Perez was, you know, probably the greatest thing that could happen to Team Puerto Rico because I have spoken, I will not say their names because I don't want to expose them out there, to so many players who were only joining Team Puerto Rico because Eduardo Perez asked them to. And they trusted and believed in him. And Eduardo is really questioning the autonomy. Now, I understand that there is a need for players to rally, again, you know, around somebody. You know, in the Dominican Republic team, they have a GM who is a former player in Nelson Cruz, right? And, but... The selection of a team and its coaching staff should purely be, you know, the, the decision of the general manager, and it hasn't been the case uh, with the Puerto Rico team, with a lot of influences from many other places, right? Not only players, but also the federation. So it's just really sad to see, and, and it really, what, what's sadder about it is that tomorrow is Roberto Clemente Day, right? September 15th. We celebrate, you know, the 50th anniversary of the death of the first Latin American player, um, you know, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and we are in the middle of this little bit of a mess, you know, around the Puerto Rican team. And it just, it's such a, such a sad moment, I think, for Puerto Rico heading into a WBC, knowing that this was, you know, Team Rubio, the blonde team that, you know, that came in second to Team USA in the last WBC. And everyone was so excited to see all these guys again. And now we're going to have to wait and watch to see what happens with management. But this is what happens. We have a great expression in Spanish, Buster. And I'm going to test you on this one, which is mucho capitán, poco marinero. Too many captains and such few seamen. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I probably learned that in my second year of Spanish at Vanderbilt, and, and it went out the door. Uh, so I appreciate <laughs> you uh, not asking me what it meant, uh, because my, my last Spanish teacher, who gave me a D-plus, rightly so, by the way, uh, <laughs> would, 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 would have laughed and said, yeah, he can't deal with that. So I appreciate that, Marlon. You got it. Thanks for doing this. I will talk to you soon. Of course. Okay, great. Thank you for having me on. You guys have a great day. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. 
That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. AJ Hinch is the manager of the Detroit Tigers. AJ, how you doing? I'm doing okay, Buster. I wish we had more wins, but I uh, I'm uh, I'm holding I'm holding up okay and and looking forward to this little stretch run to try to get a uh, get some more positivity around here. Yeah, well, uh, as we got ready to start, you mentioned uh, about playing the Astros uh, and, of course, the team that you used to manage and how good they are. Just out of curiosity, like how, how, how when you look at them, how dangerous are they in your mind? Because I think they're the best team in the American League, and I think there's actually a gap at this point. Yeah, I think they're I think they're good. Obviously, their um, their lineup is very strong. I mean, they've hit the ball very well the last couple nights. First night, uh, they beat us with a bunch of singles, like eleven or twelve of them, and they scored five or six runs. And then last night, they flexed a little bit more muscle and hit some balls out of the ballpark. And I think it depends on 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 how they balance their offense. They their pitching, their homegrown talent is really good. Justin Verlander obviously is is going to be a huge key, but I. You know, I see him as the class of the American League because of that, how, how much deep they are and how much they can beat you in multiple ways. And uh, But I think the American League is is probably going to be a little better than people think. I'm, you know, we're going to finish with Seattle. We're going to face uh, the White Sox. We've already played Cleveland. So the Cleveland-White Sox battle will go down to the wire a little bit. But uh, there's some intriguing matchups on some teams that are trying to dethrone the Astros and I still believe the Yankees have a nice little run in them. I know there's been a lot of stress around there with, with how much they've been losing. But when we saw them, they were clicking a little bit more, and they uh, they can challenge more people than they're given credit for. So when I've been asked the question, you know, who at this moment is the biggest threat to the Astros, uh, my answer has actually been Seattle. And part of the reason why is because just through the years, seeing, you know, back in the day, Red Sox, Yankees, uh, in more recent years, Rays, Yankees, I always feel like when you have division rivals that some of the, uh, uh, for lack of the stature of one team over the other, is completely diminished. Does that make sense to you? And you see the, the Mariners play better and they see the Astros all the time? Because uh, I feel like that takes away some of the edge potentially. 100%. I think you're spot on. And I, we, fa- we face Seattle three times here at our place. Their pitching is legit. Their lineup's very balanced. Uh, there's, it's hard to get a platoon advantage against that team. I think Julio Rodriguez is obviously a household name now with a big contract, but will converse on the scene in the playoffs and be very exciting. And I, I do believe in the in the familiarity part. Like if you watch any team that, that was even we won a hundred games in Houston over the years, it was you know Oakland was always a thorn, Seattle being a thorn, the, the Angels. You see see so much of each other, and, and quite honestly, the Boston Red Sox New York Yankees rivalry. Like they're not afraid to go into Fenway or Yankee Stadium because they're so used to it. So I, I think the interesting part of this season is the newness of the playoffs, Toronto, Seattle, um, versus some of the guys that are the teams that are more established playoff teams. That might factor in, but the fear, the fear of, a, of a team of the Astros magnitude or the Yankee magnitude will not uh, be a huge factor since you have 19 games of experience against them. And you've been in that stadium. It's been loud. You've seen the, the matchups. You even have history with these guys. Um, there's a path to beating that team when you've 
when you've practiced it, call it 19 times. Now, I'm going to ask you in a, in a moment about the, the Tigers and what's next for, for you guys. But, uh, you know, the big story in baseball right now is Aaron Judge uh, approaching Roger Maris's record for home runs in the American League. In your eyes, how has he progressed as a hitter? What has he gotten better at in recent seasons? I think zone control has been better. Um, he, he's, a, he's a better hitter than he's given credit. We all go to right to the power, and especially Yankee Stadium. I mean, I, it's a can you get him to ever pull a ball at Yankee Stadium? You feel like it's a success, and then it goes towards the second deck or into the bullpen. Because, um, I mean, he's sort of associated with homers, but there's a, there's a disciplined hitter in there, and he, he's, he's able to make adjustments a little faster as he's matured. You know, you don't just have the high fastball to go to. You don't just have the on-the-plate, off-the-plate slider like you used to. Um, there's a little bit more of a locked-in approach compared to the earlier versions of him. But um, the other part of it is the discipline to stay with his approach. You go to Yankee Stadium, like I said, to get him to pull the ball is a miracle. And and it's very smart by him. It's good by Booney and the coaches to uh, to emphasize that because it, it it feels like he's playing in a much smaller park than than, than his strength needs. And it it's 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 dangerous to to ever miss out where he can handle the ball to right field. Um, when I talked to Kevin Pulwacki, the catcher for the Red Sox, recently about him, he said, you know, that there there used to be more holes in his swing, but now they, he feels like he's so balanced that he has a lot of that covered. Does that make sense? It does, and he's you know he's got long arms, big bat. Um, you know, he stands way far apart away from the plate, so I can imagine catchers feel like they have space in areas that they don't, but he. You know, he's not afraid to let the ball travel and get close to him. He's not afraid to uh, to have a plan. I don't see him trying to cover the entire plate all the time. Um, I see a pretty disciplined approach and a reason behind everything that he's doing. And there's no exploiting the same weakness twice. You may get him to punch on a ball up or you may crowd him a little bit um, the next time up or maybe later in the series or later in a in a week. He, he seems to have answered that that challenge. All right, for you guys going into the wintertime, uh, beyond this obvious statement of trying to improve the roster, in your mind, what needs to happen mm-hmm. next? Um, well, first, we got to find a vision uh, that, that kind of fits where we're headed and what we need to do to, to, to bring better results to our fans in Detroit. I mean, we have had a tough stretch, certainly this year, 17 starting pitchers and a boatload of new debuts, um, trying to break in some young guys, some that are going to be sort of big-time contributors when I think it's Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green. We get some of our pitching's got to get healthy. Uh, you know, we're going to get a GM here at some point. I think our, our owners work tirelessly to try to, to find a new vision for us. And we've got to cleanse ourselves in this season. This has been a pretty taxing year. We obviously lost a lot more games than we expected. Um, our health has not been great. But our, our mentality has to shift from trying um, harder again to, to being smarter and being a little bit, um, you know, better at some of the uh, the things that lead to winning. So it's going to, you know, it doesn't have to be a long time. It can happen fast. I've seen it in my career where, you know, in addition here, a, 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 a shift in mentality here, you buy, you get a little bit of health here and things can go well. I think our division is, um, you know, more competitive than necessarily going to run away from anybody. And um, we've got to stand up and fight for it because there's been too many losing seasons here in Detroit that, that, that move into the next season and, and you just kind of continue the same narrative, and, and it's, it's, it's not right for our fans, and certainly our players need to, to make an adjustment. AJ, before uh, you managed for the first time in the big leagues with the Diamondbacks, you worked in the front office there, and it was interesting, uh, but when the, the change came with the Tigers uh, at general manager, some of your peers said to me, hey, what about AJ doing that job? 
Uh, I'm curious about, you know, what thoughts went through your mind about that? Yeah, no, it's flattering to, to have people consider you qualified to do things, or at least, you know, it could be a challenge. And I, you know, I, I knew that we all talked about that. The question could come. I mean, I've been involved in baseball a long time, done a lot of different things. My competitive juices love being in the dugout. I love being the, the executor of a, of a vision and a partner with the, with the front office and, um, the thirst to be around the players and be in the trenches has always, uh, been greater than, than necessarily wanting to be in the front office and doing, um, you know, doing the building of the roster. I like to implement the roster. So I, you know, for me, it's, again, my history would tell you I've, I've done a lot of different things, but my passion and my, 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 my kind of what gets you out of bed in the morning is the, is in the trenches with the players and the coaches and, and trying to solve this stuff down here. So I, um, I do want to be part of the solution. You know, I do want to be um, a reason why, why this thing turns around, but I want to be wearing a uniform. So over the weekend after the rules changes were announced by Major League Baseball, it was very interesting to be around David Ross and Gabe Kapler and to hear them almost talk out loud about, you know, they're looking for loopholes, looking for questions that they need to uh, examine before they, they go in with the rules next year. For example, you know, the, the larger bases, uh, the rules about uh, pitchers stepping off right away. What jumped out at you about the rule changes, whether it was defensive positioning or the pitch clock, and and some of the, for lack of a better way to describe it, loopholes or things that uh, might be worth yeah. looking into. I think the positioning is going to be the biggest adjustment because I think in when people say you're taking away the shift, everybody thinks you're just going to look from like say the press box or behind home plate or any fan they're going to look and like everybody's going to be equidistant. There's going to be all these monster holes that are in the areas that we are traditionally used to. And I think teams are going to still shift. They're going to be mini shifts. They're not going to be able to put people in right field or left field or, um, you know, three men on the infield and stuff like that on the right side. You're going to see two people on each side, but you're going to see alignments that are still heavily saturated on where the balls go. For example, the second baseman doesn't go near second base. Now he's still going to probably play in the four hole closer to the first baseman for that pull left-handed hitter that has hit so many ground balls and so many balls in that area. He just can't be in right field. So now the big hole is going to be up the middle between second base and the second baseman. Um, things like that are going to, I, somebody's going to put the shortstop in motion to where he ends up on the other side as the, as the pitch is being delivered. And they're going to have to quali- kind of uh, uh, kind of clarify what the actual positioning is going to be. I guarantee if somebody puts him in motion at some point and it's going to look a little bit funny, but um, that, that jumps out at me a little bit more. I, I, I've, I don't quite buy into the, the, the stolen base part of it, that the size of the base is going to make me start a below average runner any more than I already do. Um, you're still not going to risk that many outs, but where we defend and where we decide to cover up the holes. Like I was, I was talking to Jose Altuve when we're playing the Astros here. And I do think he's going to be positively impacted by people not being able to shift him anymore. The problem is he thinks he can now hit the ball back up the middle, but whatever the line guy can stand, he's going to stand the shortstop or the second baseman, whatever they're shifting. So it's going to be a little bit unique to see how different teams deploy the, 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 the new rules. I think the league will be fine. I think there's going to be an overreaction to many of these rules, sim- similar to how it was, you know, going to ruin the game that we don't run into catchers anymore. Or we don't take out second baseman anymore. Or we have to, we can point to first base and send somebody without throwing four meaningless pitches, um, to, you know, to the plate. The game will survive and be better for it in some areas. And if it's not, then we'll make subtle adjustments and, 
and try to and try to appease the 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 overall product. Yeah, those guys mentioned the possibility also of maybe different outfield alignments, knowing that you can't, you know, move one of the infielders to the outfielder, but maybe you essentially have two man outfield and then put the one of the outfielders in short right field where we see the No, I think hundred percent. I think the pull side guy that hits the ball low to the pull side is gonna you're gonna find the right fielder is gonna creep a little bit further in and you may see some of those nine to three um, outcomes. I mean, I, for me personally on this team, I have Willie Castro playing right field today. He's a second baseman shortstop by trade. Like he would be a perfect example of somebody that could, could come in now with Jordan Alvarez in the lineup or Kyle Tucker in the lineup. We're not going to be able to play at the 200 foot mark. Uh, but if you get somebody with less pull power and I want to, I want to take away that single, um, that's a way to deploy your defense and, and be a little bit more creative. I don't think it's just going to go back to standing you know, standing in the three spots in the outfield like we did in Little League and the four spots in the in the infield. Uh, the league's too smart for that to to make that drastic of an adjustment um, simply because now there's there's a perception that no shifts are, are involved. All right, AJ. Well, thanks for your time. I know you got a game to get ready for. Thanks for taking the time to do it. You got it. Anytime. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how's it going this week? Doing well, Buster. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, we're going to dive into it because we've got radio stuff going on and we're trying to balance things. And so we're a little bit on the clock today. P.K. Steinberg has a bleacher tweet for you specifically. You may uh, I don't know if you were copied on this. 
but he wants you to weigh in. Which batting helmets do you prefer, the bright, shiny ones or the muted matte ones? Matty, matte ones, how do you pronounce that? Matte, Buster. They're matte. Yeah. And the answer is I am not a fan. I agree uh, with you. I like the shiny ones. Yeah, and I, I think that part of it is uh, the fact that the matte batting helmets were introduced maybe seven years ago, and then everybody jumped on the way on the bandwagon. And there are some clubs that look good in them. Personally, I think that the the, the clubs with the brighter colored helmets, the Dodgers among them, look great. But the Yankees, uh, not so great. You know, dark colors just don't look special. And I don't know. I think it's one of these gimmicks that's been um, overdone a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I always enjoyed when I was a beat writer uh, watching the Bat Boys come in and they would wipe them, wipe down the helmets, and they get them all going. Except for the occasional player who was like, "Don't touch my helmet!" Like I, I want all the pine tar on there. I think uh, Jorge Posada was one of those guys. All right, it jumped out to us when you sent us on the subject line of this week's fan of franchise that you love. This week's entry, uh, what do you got? Buster, this one, they're all good, but this one jumped out for me, too. Buster, Yankee Stadium underwent an extensive $100 million renovation in the mid-70s, but in 1982, the city discovered cracks in concrete stairs and expansion joints along the left and right field lines. Repairs commenced in October 1982, and the city of New York assured Yankees principal owner, George M. Steinbrenner, that they'd be completed by the time the 1983 season rolled around. Hedging his bets, and perhaps sensing opportunity, Steinbrenner began to look for alternative arrangements. In November 1982, the Yankees announced that they were poised to sign an agreement with the city of Denver to play their first three home games of the 1983 season against Detroit at Denver's Mile High Stadium. Denver, which would land the Rockies a decade later, had been looking for an MLB team for years, and Mile High Stadium offered up more than 80,000 seats. The city of New York cited the fact that the Yankees, least in the Bronx, said that they were to play all their home games there until their lease expired in the year 2002. Steinbrenner said he had not considered using Shea Stadium, home of the Mets, because he had a good relationship with the owners of the team, and he, quote, wouldn't have wanted to come with the Yankees into their backyard. The city went to court to block the opening day shift. They enlisted writer Roger Angel to submit an affidavit. Angel eloquently wrote, and I quote, opening day is a matter of small significance on the baseball calendar, except to hometown fans. It is a ceremony of renewal and welcome, a celebration of the simultaneous return of springtime and baseball time, a brief moment of pure hope, and a noisy, cheerful restoration of the bonds of loyalty and affection that bind the fans to their home club, and vice versa. I speak of these matters as a lifelong New York resident, he wrote, and like every other fan in New York, I feel that the Yankees are mine. I have a date with them on April 11th, 1983 at Yankee Stadium, and I expect them to keep that appointment. On January 10th, 1983, Acting Justice Richard S. Lane of the State Supreme Court in Manhattan issued his ruling, scuttling the team's plans to set up camp in Denver. He wrote, and I quote, the Yankee pinstripes belong to New York like Central Park, like the Statue of Liberty, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, like the Metropolitan Opera, like the Stock Exchange, like the lights of Broadway, etc. 
Collectively, they are the Big Apple. Any loss represents a diminution of the quality of life here, a blow to the city standing at the top, however narcissistic that perception may be. Viewed as objectively as possible, the judge said it would appear that Mr. Steinbrenner, ignoring the good faith efforts by the city to satisfy his needs, was grabbing a pretext to take his team to a greener pasture, i.e. a larger stadium and a populace with an unfulfilled yearning for Major League Baseball. The New York Yankees opened the regular season three months later in the Bronx, where a team record opening day crowd of 55,579 watched the Yankees get spanked by the Tigers 13-2. to But Buster, for three games that April, they were supposed to have been the Denver Yankees, Wow. And they are this week's phantom franchise. Yeah, uh, a great entry. I love that write-up. And I didn't know that Roger Angel was involved in that. Boy, you talk about uh, uh, journalism, like diving into it. <laughs> Bringing out the heavy guns right there, Buster. Right, exactly. So uh, I was just going to mention this. It, it's funny that ever, whenever anything goes wrong with the current Yankees, uh, so many Yankee fans go, well, George wouldn't let that happen. George was the best ever. George is great. As you know, Todd, his ownership was a little bit more complicated than simply an owner who wanted to win. <laughs> yeah, and Buster, I can tell you right now, I went to a lot of Yankee games in yeah. 82, 83, 84, and there were moments of, you know, great elation, but the the uh, the refurbishing of Yankee Stadium in the mid 70s, not a great success. Uh, not a uh, the place jumped when times were great, but when they were not great, boy. So the Denver Yankees for three games in '83. Can you imagine? No, I can't. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, uh, Buster with with eleven, Taylor with six, Sarah with seven. So here we go. This ballpark. I'm just going to say, if I win, yeah. I'm going to jump into the opposed into uh, the oppo- you know, opponent's pool on this one and celebrate. So go well, ahead, Buster. You're you're getting way ahead of yourself here, my friend. I I mean, like, let's just let this play out, okay? So here we go. This week's question: This ballpark hosted more games than any other in Major League Baseball history ever. Is it a the Polo Grounds in New York? Is it B Sportsman's Park in St. Louis? Is it C, Comiskey Park in Chicago, or is it D, Scheib Park in Philly? More games than any other in Major League history. Polo Grounds, Sportsman's Park, Comiskey Park, Scheib Park. And let me just say, this is National and American League. We're not talking Negro Leagues. I'm going to go D, Scheib Park. Taylor, what else you got? I'll go Comiskey Park. Buster said that so confidently. So I feel like he knows that's the right answer. So I'm going to go A, just in case. Buster is wrong, and you are all wrong, because it is B, Sportsman's Park (laughs) in St. Louis, Missouri, which hosted more than 7,000 Major League Baseball games. The Cardinals and the Browns. So Buster just, you know, taking your victory lap. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, come on now. <laughs> well, that's where we are, right? Uh, that was Jumping my, into the pool, I think you uh, said. I know. Well, you know, I got to hold off. Besides, security probably would throw me back, as they did in Arizona last night with the Dodgers, not Absolutely. wanting to have, uh, have something happen. Yeah, so I it was going to be – Shy Park was my first choice as the question began, and I stuck with my instinct with Philly. 
But yeah, St. Louis would have been my second one. So missed opportunity. That's for sure. All right, Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Louis Adio Weiss writes in, I know he's talked about continuing his career on a year-to-year basis, but a 2.44 ERA and a 103.1 innings pitch for Clayton Kershaw this season. What's What do you surmise he'll do regarding uh, whether he'll return in 2023? Yeah, so a friend of his told me last winter, you know, Clayton's going to go home and he's going to pick up a ball sometime in January and then he's going to decide how he feels and uh, that might be the time when he decides, you know what, that's it, I'm done. Um, He's not someone I think really cares that much about numbers, but it is worth noting. He's got 193 career wins. He's got 87 losses. I don't know if he cares about 200 wins. Um, I mean, to me, he should be a unanimous selection, first ballot Hall of Famer when his name comes on the ballot. But, you know, he's having fun. That's what it seems like. When I saw him earlier this year, he seemed like he was just someone who was enjoying playing and maybe deciding that he's just going to go year to year to this point makes it easier for him. Ernesto Cedillo writes in, the Yankees do not win two games last weekend and one tonight, if not for Aaron Judge. How is it still debate that Otani could win MVP this year? This isn't the typical best player surrounded by stellar teammates debate of yesteryear. I think the Yankees' uh, little mini collapse amplified his MVP case, personally. Yeah, Taylor, I agree with you 100%. It is a unique situation. (laughs) because we've seen how fans have looked at the, the the production of Otani and how no one else can match that. And that's still the case. But Judge, beyond the home runs, is that a unique season in terms of carrying a team essentially to a division title? I think when you carry a team, that's worth a lot. Alex at Pocket Veto writes in the Cubs executed three straight sacrifices against the Mets tonight. Sack bunt, sack fly, sack bunt. Any idea how often something like that happens and if that's the most consecutive sack scoring plays ever? Alex, got a question into our friend Sarah Langs on Friday's podcast. I'll give you that answer. Last one for today. Scott Appleman writes in Buster, you root for good stories and good things to happen to good people. Are you rooting for Trout and Otani to stay together as the long-term core of the Angels and hope the team figures it out or move to organizations with better winning potential? Yeah, um, look, I think it's going to be better for baseball that the Angels have new ownership. A a new owner is going to come in. Uh, let the professionals do their jobs, maybe increase the payroll where it needs to be. We've seen baseball really enhanced the quality of the sport, I think, by the fact that the Dodgers uh, were restored to their rightful place in baseball when the new ownership came in with Guggenheim Group. I think it's been better for baseball that the Mets have Steve Cohen as their owner, and I think it's going to be better for the Angels that a uh, new owner is going to come in and take a fresh look at Otani as I've said on the podcast, my advice to the new new owner would be, look, just give Otani the blank check. You need to keep this guy. Indeed. All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets. While you're watching games, we'll be back on Friday. That's it for today. My thanks today to AJ Hinch, to Marley, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. <laughs>